Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Whitney Morris. From the start of her career in executive recruiting seven years ago, Whitney has solely worked within medical affairs, affording a network of connections unmatched in the industry. Currently, Whitney is the face of medical affairs recruiting, where she has helped to build a strong foundation of character and integrity upon which the company was founded. Prior to her role at medical affairs recruiting, Whitney worked as a full desk recruiter starting the medical affairs team for Thinking Ahead Executive Search. In her last year there, Whitney finished number one in the company. Whitney later completed a psychology degree from UNC Chapel Hill and after moving to the coast of North Carolina, became the wife to the founder of medical affairs recruiting and the mother to three beautiful children who drive her passion day. Welcome, Whitney, to Woman to Woman podcast. So excited to have you with us here today. Thank you. So excited to be here. For our listeners, can you tell them what exactly do you do today? I work with medical affairs recruiting, and that's actually the name of it. It's funny. Everyone always says, no, what's the name of the company? I'm like, no, it's really medical affairs recruiting. Got into recruiting and actually worked for another firm. And I always knew there was something different I wanted to do. We wanted a different level of integrity. We wanted character, one of things like that. And ironically, my husband, um, before we were even married, was also in recruiting, went off and started his own company. And so when I was recruiting for the other firm, he thought, well, I'm going to make a, why don't I set up a subsidiary and I'll run that company and you can come work with me. And so I get to be the face and the business development behind um, medical affairs recruiting. And so was that something you got into later in life or was that something you always aspired because you had some other role models who were into recruiting and you liked the profession? To give you a, a little bit of backstory, um, I graduated from college. I was going to PA school. That was where I was going to go. I thought that was the perfect profession for me because I also knew that I really wanted to be a mom. And I thought that would be a nice mixture if I could work a few days as a PA and be a mom a few days as well. Day before I graduated, I was walking into my microbiology exam and I got a letter from Merck and they were offering me a job. And so I thought, wow, you know, instead of maybe instead of going to PA school, look at this, look at this job offer. And um, so I accepted that role and went into the commercial side at Merck for six years. I left there to be a mom for about five years, I sat down and was looking at, I believe it was Indeed, but so this was about seven years ago, was looking at Indeed.com and I saw this ad for a recruiter and I thought, oh my gosh, it's in pharmaceuticals. I've done pharmaceuticals. I can do that part. Um, it's recruiting. I've done some of that. It, and I'll tell you in a different, a different angle. And I thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to go around to colleges and I'm going to recruit these people from colleges and just travel around and um, have them come into pharmaceuticals. And little did I know it's not that job at all. <laughs> Recruiting is definitely an office-based job. It's a remote job. You hardly get to meet any of the people that you work with because you're doing so much like this or over the phone. Um, I think thanks to COVID, a lot of this virtually has, has become much more popular, but I would still say probably 90% of what I do is over the phone. So the answer is no, I didn't know what I was getting into. But after about a year of, of getting into it and meeting people and just getting to know people on such a, a different level, because you're getting to change their lives. It is such a blessing to me that I get to do this every day because I ultimately get to help improve someone's life and I get paid for it. it. Just turned into an absolute passion. I just had a candidate actually the other night and he said, Whitney, you work around the clock. Stop texting me. And I said, 
but it's a very like my hobby versus work is like this. I, I don't really know where, where the lines end. So recruiting is not an easy job. Um, you do get a lot of rejections. People don't want to talk to you sometimes not realizing the value ad you would provide to them. So what made you stay in this role for seven years? Clearly you have a passion, but was there anything more to it that really helped you say, you know what, this is what I really love. I want to stay here and I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah, you're right. It, it is a job of failure. Whether I want to or not, I think I almost thrive on the challenge of Hey, Whitney, you're going to fail. No, I'm not. Let me show you. And I think that's such a big part of if you would do well in this job or not. You've got to have that intrinsic motivation to say, I'm going to, I'm going to succeed. It's all in how you define succeeding. In the beginning, when I started, it was would someone email me back when I connected with them on LinkedIn? You know, if I got to connect my first couple of months, I would jump up and down and get so excited. And then it was oh, someone wants to talk to me on the phone. And then it was, but then it, it's a whole nother level when you're, you're getting, you're talking to a company and, you know, trying to share with them, like you said, the value add. Um, unfortunately too, I think recruiting has a lot of different personalities in it. So there are a lot of different recruiters and there are, I know you'll smile because you probably dealt with a lot of them. I liken it a lot to real estate agents, to be honest, and not to pick on real estate agents at all. I have some good friends of real estate agents, but there's a lot of bad ones and there's a few really good ones. And when you find the really good one that cares more about the person and where that person's going and their future than they do about closing a deal, that's the kind of person that you want to, to kind of latch on to, you know, and make those connections with. I, I love people and they energize me and they keep me going. And I also think that a lot of doing well in recruiting and just having the stamina to keep going goes back to honestly childhood. I was thinking through this as I was, you know, preparing for this. And I, I laughed because I thought, you know, if, if I was graduating in college again, how would I know if I would be good at recruiting? And to be honest, in kindergarten, it started with my report card saying, Whitney talks too much. Whitney should, Whitney should be less friendly. She would do better in school or make better grades. So I really do think that there's some innate people, you know, just loving people that, that has to be in you to, to do the recruiting and to keep it going. And everyone at my first firm knew just keep swimming. So from Dory, Dory never gave up on little Nemo. That has just been my motto. When anything happens or something, something falls through, well, first of all, I think just keep swimming, but I also have really grown over these past seven years in compassion. I think that is something if every recruiter out there could just have that compassion versus how is this going to benefit me? Because anything that does fail, it's because it's not the right fit on either one side or the other. And if you are not finding the best person for this company and you are not finding the best role for this person, then somebody's not winning at the end of the day. I just talked to, actually, ironically, it was the nail guy I was talking to while he was doing my nails the other day. And he owns that business. And I was kind of talking through because they're definitely the best in town. And I said, it's just the quality and the time you put into people. And he said, I tell everyone that works for me, never, ever think about the dollar think about the people. And if you treat the people the way you should, the dollars will follow. The better you are as a sincere, compassionate person, I think the easier your job gets because then people call you and you don't have to be out there trying to drum up all this business. You can just be you. That really um, makes me curious. You know, I asked this question to all my guests, you know, what does networking mean for you? Because for women, when we went through our focus groups, one of the things that kept coming up was 
people are very hesitant to network initially because they're like, oh my God, what do I just say to a stranger? Go talk to them. Now you do this day in and day out with so many different people. You go introduce yourself. You get to really know them. What helps you do that? So something I I really rocked the boat at my first firm. It was very, very heavy on cold calling. And I guess it goes back to that, that social acumen and that compassion. I don't like when someone cold calls me. I don't like when I get a weird phone number, but I think I know who it is and I pick up and it's someone trying to sell me something out of the blue. And I said, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try something different because I guess I just try to come at as much as I can as what would I like and what would I appreciate? So from a networking standpoint, not having that cold call softens a lot and makes that a lot less scary because I'm the same way. I mean, people are, I, I feel like, you know, I present to the world as this very, you know, extrovert person that's comfortable and confident. I'm not. My family will tell you I'm the opposite. I've had self-confidence issues my entire life. So I've just had to hurdle over that in that finding ways that I feel that are comfortable. So for example, when I first started, I mean, it's probably like a lot of people right now, you can hide behind the computer a little bit. So if I LinkedIn connected with someone that was comfortable to me because I wasn't getting in your space. I wasn't you know, calling you, I wasn't doing anything like that. And then if you connected with me, felt like, okay, so we're, we're at least on a warm ground at this point, because we're both accepting that this is okay. I think another aspect of recruiting and any job, and I actually, I tell every candidate I prep this, we are all intrinsically selfish, whether we want to admit it or not. And so if you can share with that person, how you are adding value right off the bat, to them and to thank them and to be gracious to them makes the networking a lot warmer and a lot easier as well. So it started out, it started out with that aspect and then it quickly grew. The only network so far is with social media, you know, and LinkedIn. A big, big thing that I would recommend to anyone, no matter what your job is, is to find a conference or an in-person meeting that specializes in what you do. I think it's good in, in your industry if you want to learn more, you know, if you want to grow and train and things like that, but more so in what the area in which you specialize, because another value add that we can bring as recruiters is not just to help you find a job, but it's to really be consultant in that base. When I was at Merck, for example, and my husband jokes with me, I came out of six weeks of training and I thought I was a cardiologist. So I don't think you should do it to that level. With a strong acumen in your area, it's going to take you a lot further. Probably my second year, I found a conference. It's called MAPS, Medical Affairs Professional Society. And it was the first year that they started. I told my boss, I said, I'd like to go. And she was like, okay, well, I, I can go with you. I said, no, no, because that would be my crutch. I knew if someone went with me, that would be a crutch. So I went knowing absolutely no one. And it was scary. Almost chickened out a few times. I thought no one would know if I just stayed in the hotel room. <laughs> Gone every year since then. And they do a fantastic job. I think it's, uh, you know, from an event standpoint, too, that they have a networking opportunity and a fun networking opportunity that's engaging that people want to go to. You know, I feel like as the recruiter, I'm like, I'm like here and everyone else in medical affairs, they're all doctors and pharma, they're all here. But at the end of the day, they're as nervous as I am. You know, I have learned that they don't often know anyone either, or they know like the two people on their team. And it's so much fun now to have gotten to know so many people that they're like, Whitney, can I come sit with you? I'm like, yes, please. Let's at least know each other. I think networking's hard 
for anyone. You're being vulnerable at the end of the day are just people. We were born and bred to be in a community. And if you can remember that. Let's go back a little bit in your life, in your childhood. Were there certain people that really helped you shape who you are today? God and my mother had so much to do with where I am today. Those are the two that I would give all the credit to. My mom, ironically, she was not really a businesswoman. She stayed at home with us most of the time. She taught preschool here and there, and but she was very, very involved with us. She always taught me what it was like to love. I think she's just that kind of that personality. That's just that unconditional love, no matter what. And I think from that, she was able to give me a love for people and just a compassion that I wouldn't have had if anyone else had raised me. Also probably the go-getter added, she was never scared of anything. You know, she would go beyond a volunteer board and be the president. Or if she wanted to go do something, she'd go get a training in that and go do it. And it wasn't even like a big deal. It was just like, this is just what you do. You need to contribute. So you just go contribute. Neither of my parents really pushed us to do anything. It's funny. And and that's where I think so much when we interview people, I think that's the hardest thing to judge is that intrinsic motivation. You can't fake that. You can't train that. It's either there or it's not. And God, because Lord knows I wouldn't be here today if it led my way. We all have ambitions. We have certain plans in life. So what was your plan? And did everything go according to plan. Really interesting story. So yes, I had the plan. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was going to go to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill because of course my guidance counselor said, you'll never get in there. And so I said, let, I'll show you. So I got accepted to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I went to school there. I was then going to get married. I was going to have children and stay at home and live a beautiful life. And that's what I was going to do the rest of my life. Went to Chapel Hill. I got married. I had children. I quickly realized that I love my children more than anything on this entire planet, but I needed something for me. I needed something outside. I stayed at home for, I think, nine months before I started a business out of our house, because I was like, I need, mama needs something, <laughs> something else, some, some other outlet. And I just, I, I realized that I really like to contribute financially to our family. I never knew that, I guess, because of the family I'd grown up in, that just wasn't really the setup. My dad worked, my mom didn't, my dad was the financial person, my mom, but I quickly realized that I loved that. And I loved to build a, you know, a small business and do things. I ended up having two. And when I was 31 years old, my daughter was 18 months. My son was three and I was not, I was not in a good situation. And I knew I was not in a good situation. I had known I was not in a good situation, but finally I looked at that little girl and I said, you are not going to grow up thinking this is how women are supposed to be treated. One day I got my ducks in a row. My ex-husband now went to work and the moving truck came 20 minutes later and the children and I moved out probably two months before that, maybe three months. I saw something on, through social media for an ad for something. A friend was showing some these fingernails and I thought, well, this is interesting because I always paint my fingernails and I always chip and this will stay on. This is neat. I said, I'll try them. And then it was like $10 more to sell them than to try those three. And I thought, well, I'll just sign up. And if I like them, I'll tell my friends about them. Well, fast forward three months and I had recruited 700 women under me, was making more than I had made when I was a rep at Merck. You know, this was enough for me to feel confident enough to be able to leave and have the children. So we left. I kept doing that. That became a little unstable in terms of the sales and the team was fluctuating. I just had something in me that said I didn't want the kids to be elsewhere, like in daycare. I wanted them to be at home with me. For me, it was just, I just, it, it was a thing. You know, every mom's got their, their thing. And so to do that, 
I had to support us 100%. And my ex-husband was not paying child support. I used um, the 401k money I had saved from Merck to pay our rent for the year to know that we wouldn't be homeless for a year. Did the recruiting with the nails team, but then that wasn't enough. And so a friend and I, actually, there was an upscale kids consignment sale in town. We bought that business. And so two times a year, we would set up a, an entire warehouse full of consigned upscale kids consignment clothes and we'd tear it back down and we'd do it again six months later. This was also at the time Kim Kardashian was making placenta pills. And I can't believe I'm saying this to you, but it's part of the journey. So any girl, women out there listening, just know your journeys are, are can get interesting. Um, it was when Kim Kardashian was doing placenta pills and took hers after having her children. And I had a friend in Hawaii that did the same thing. And I thought, well, this is interesting. And there was a woman in town that did it, but she was she was very out there. Instead of going to work for that woman, I thought, well, I can just train and do this myself. So I took a course and certified and did all that. And so I started doing that. I created what was called the placenta chick, did that to be able to have enough money that I knew my children would always have the fancy birthdays and that, that we'd still be able to travel and have nice holidays. And then, so I have three jobs at this point from home. And then this wonderful woman posted that Indeed post I talked about with recruiting. So I, I looked into that. I met with her. It was full time. I was going to have to be out of the house all day in an office. And so I said, no, thank you. Somehow we're going to keep, you know, I'll keep going. And six months later, she called me back and she said, we can work this out. You can do it from home. We can be, you can do it part-time. And so that's where that started. And so I started researching for her and about a year later got into being a full desk recruiter, which meant then I was able to, you know, do a lot better financially. I was able to handle the whole process of recruiting from start to finish. And I will never forget the day I looked at her and I said, I finally only have one job. <laughs> After over a decade, this is my best friend from college that I hadn't talked to for a decade called me out of the blue because he and uh, his partner at the time were trying to recruit stay-at-home moms that were college educated because he thought they'd be do they'd do great at recruiting. And I said, ironically, I'm already doing that. And he said, well, will you go on a date with me? And that we got married nine, that's my husband. We got married nine months later. So it has been quite a journey. That's a nothing like I expected. What an incredible journey that was. <laughs> if you had to do anything different, you know, in all of this time doing four jobs and I don't know how okay. you did it. Were there certain things that you would do differently? Career-wise, probably not. Because I think everything's compounded to the next. To be honest, if the Merck hadn't been there, I wouldn't have gotten the pharmaceutical recruiting job. If I hadn't recruited for the fingernails, then, then I wouldn't have had the recruiting knowledge to then bring into this. Now, the placenta pills, yeah, I probably would have left that out. <laughs> I probably would have said you're not getting a fancy birthday for a couple of years. I think it's amazing to look back, and I know everyone's got these stories, but it's just such a testament to look back at your life if you if you draw out the time. And actually, this has been so much fun, so thank you. You don't often look back and reflect on, you know, you just kind of go through life and you look up one day and you're like, oh my gosh, this is how this has happened. With any company you go to, you learn so much of what looks good. And you also learn so much of what you don't want to do, you know, what you don't want to replicate and how you can make it better. 
But if you never know this, then you can't ever make it better or be different. In terms of mentors, did you ever seek out mentors or did you have people who acted as mentors for you? Yes, absolutely. Um, there is a woman actually in medical affairs and I tell her every time I see, can I just soak up your wisdom? Her name is Gelsie's Campo. She's with Organon and she's one of these women that I just feel like you look at and you're like, she's done it. She's done it all. Like somehow she has these three beautiful raised children, a happy marriage. She's career woman of the world. And you know, everyone that works with her loves her. And she's always got this aura about her of just calm and peace, but the girl gets it done. And that's what I think I love is that I'm like, I want that leadership style because she's so graceful and so compassionate. I think she's been such an inspiration to me and such a mentor to me. So when I've had questions, personal or professional, I call her, I'm like, okay, I, t- I joke whether, you know, the, what would Jesus do ban? She has just acted ever since I've gotten into this as just an incredible mentor to me. So having seen so many people, right? Different people, leaders, different levels. When you recruit others, are there certain skills that when you see they have that you're like, wow. So as an aspiring leader, if women need to start looking at What soft skills should I start looking at? What would those? It's amazing to me. Actually, I just had this happen last night. Personality goes so far because we all have different personalities. It is the hunger and the drive. Even if you don't, if you can fake it on an interview, it's an energy. I just had a a call last night from a client and he said, you know, Whitney, this person, this candidate had every skill on paper that we wanted, but nobody felt the drive. Nobody felt the, the want. And it's interesting because I feel like when I started in recruiting, it was a little bit like a a used car lot. People felt like if they were too eager and too excited for a position, they were going to get undercut salary wise because the company would say, oh, she really wants it. So we'll, we'll lowball her and then she'll take it because she really wants it. Please, if they get anything out of this podcast, that is not the environment anymore. Companies want you to be hungry. They want you to be excited and they want you to want the job. And so I tell everyone the interviews to, to pretend it's like dating. If you went on a date with a guy and he was like, hmm, yeah, you're okay. I'm talking to five other women too. Like, you know, everybody wants me. Guess what? You wouldn't date him. But if you went to dinner with him and he said, oh, you are the best thing ever. You were meant for me. I'm meant for you. It would be a very, very different story. I think the soft skill of just being excited. And if you're not excited on interview, you shouldn't be interviewing anyway, to be honest, because that's clearly not where you need to be. That's a really, a really, really strong soft skill. Other thing I would tell people is social acumen's really big. I've had a lot of hiring managers that are pretty soft-spoken, pretty mundane, but they love someone on their team with a lot of personality and a lot of gusto because those people are going to be doing a different role than what this person does. And so they really like to see that. And this seems old school, but manners are, and I'm not talking about get on there and say, yes, sir. And no, sir. And yes, ma'am. A lot of people don't like that actually, but following up with a thank you letter, thanking people for their time, just being very gracious and thanking people and going out of your way to do that because nobody does it anymore. To be honest, it's very, very rare. I wouldn't say I've had someone not get a job because they haven't sent a follow-up. Thank you for your time or anything like that. But I've definitely had people get jobs, but over others that were, you know, very similar in skill set because of that, even with a little bit lower skill set or experience wise, because they knew that they were going to be hungry enough to learn more, learn quickly and jump in and, and contribute in ways that any way that they could 
versus someone who definitely has a skill set, but maybe they're just going to kind of sit there stagnant with that skill set. So has mobility played any role in your life? Well, Merck, it definitely did. So right out of college, when I interviewed, I will never forget, she listed like three of these terrible cities. <laughs> she said, well, you, because it was back in the day where 21 of us interviewed around the table, like 21 of us sat in there and then we all interviewed and you just hoped and prayed you got the job. And so she listed these three terrible cities and she was like, would you move to one of those? And I was like, of course. And she said, no, really? Like, would you move to one of these? And so I did. I picked one of the terrible cities that I won't name because everyone loves their city. So mobility definitely there. Yes. These days with recruiting, there's not, if you're going to get into a recruiting role, that's not, mobility is not going to be an issue. I have so many companies, even my companies, I joke that are so old school that are opening up to remote to live anywhere. And there's still a few that are hanging on and really want everyone in the office. But the irony with those are they're, they're, they want people to move, but then they say, but then you can work from home three days a week. So I think we're still trying to figure out the nice balance because I think everyone still wants to be in the office a little bit or needs to be to have the community and the camaraderie and be there for meetings, but not necessarily every day, all day. Yeah, that is very interesting, right? How this whole thing pans out, eventually no one knows. Everybody's experimenting. So yeah, we're going through the motions. Let's see where we all land. That's right. That's right. Well, it's, you know what? I, I liken it too. It's like on a big scale. Remember when everyone went um, like open floor plan and everybody just sat beside each other and that quickly was, you know, didn't work out so well. And so they tried something new. So I think we're just on the trying something new. So I hope it'll fall somewhere really positive at some point, you know, with a good balance. You mentioned kids. So you have three kids. How do you make this whole work-life balance fit in and like what are some of the things that have really worked for you accepting that there is no such thing as work-life balance I had a therapist one time he told me so Whitney I think you just really do well in chaos and I said that's not what I want to hear so I think it goes back to that I really truly have blurred lines with my job and my hobby and my love of people because I very quickly become very good friends with most of my candidates. You know, I mean, I, I want what's best for them. And so you have to get to know someone on a much deeper level to know what's going to be good for them career-wise. Because sometimes you have to be there to say, okay, this doesn't look perfect to you, but just try it for me because, because I know it's going to be good for you. I think that makes the relationship so much better and it helps so much more. I have just accepted that there is no balance. Oh, I think my husband, and I tried to just have humor with it too. And just look at each other sometimes and be like, this is our circle. And somehow we love it. Gratitude is such a big thing too. I start every single day the exact same way. And writing down what I'm thankful for is a big part of that. Having worked four jobs from home and making peanuts and financially, I'm just so thankful to have one job. <laughs> and, it's, and I don't think that will ever change. So thankful that I have a job that I can do anywhere. So I'm not missing, you know, I'm not missing anything that I don't need, that I don't want to miss. We wake up every morning, we're healthy. That's a, a huge gift to us. And being able to, to manage where the children are and what the, what the work life is, I think, first of all, that's the least, thankfully, the least of our concerns. And so you just do the best with what you can. And so you have a spouse. I think it helps that he's in it too. So he gets it. So, you know, I'll be like, I've got to call it two. You've got to call it three. So uh, for example, right before this, I was like, you've got to take the toddler and take him to the store with you because I've got a podcast for an hour. We do a lot of that. They go to, pre he goes to preschool, you know, for a couple hours a day. And so I fit in as much as I can when I can. And I think you get really efficient, even especially in COVID too, with being remote, everyone being remote, 
you just learn how to get a whole lot done. But feel like if I sit down and focus and on my to-do list, I can get things done that would have taken me all day in an office and a couple hours focused. Have you seen women make certain kind of mistakes through their career? Have there been certain things that you have noticed, which um, you would like to recommend and say, you know, we should stop doing those? I think this is a great point. You know what I have found? Because when I first started, and, I, and maybe this is a good, maybe this is a good thing. Maybe I should say my dad helped shape me as well because I had thick skin. He always gave me, he's a jokester and spared no expense making fun of us growing up. That probably gave me such thick skin. There was this customer was very difficult. Everyone knew he was so hard to see. So I walked in one day and I, I talk, tried to talk to him and just like everyone, he kind of brushed me off. And so I walked over and I got an appointment card for his patients and I wrote a, a date and a time on it walked back up to him and I said, now I have an appointment with you and here's your appointment card. And was just very direct with him. And we had a great relationship from there. Um, there was another doctor, he wouldn't see reps either. And he said, come back at five with a six pack. Well, obviously I worked for Merck. I couldn't bring him beer at five o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. So I went and got him a six pack of root beer and I went back up at five o'clock. I see either the very, very passive the, the sorries, the I'm sorry, those kind of thing. Or I see the women that are all, that are so domineering to make a point, if that makes sense. Like I'm going to be this headstrong and I'm going to have this done because I'm a woman. As women, we can really make such a difference and be able to have our, th- our, you know, our thoughts heard and be at the table and be equal is to try your best. And I know this is hard, but I try my best to say, Again, we all put our pants on the same way. I see it a lot with mine in particular with PharmDs, PhDs, and MDs. And I think at the end of the day, if you can, my old boss told me this. She said, I don't care who you're calling. Don't think about what that person is or who that person is. Just think of that person as a person. And I think if you can sit down at the table and talk to Jim and Chris exactly with your same mindset as you do with Sally and Melanie, that you're going to get across so much more because because you're demanding the respect and they're giving you the respect because you're saying, Hey, I'm right here with you. I feel like this has gotten much better. I will say over the past five years is not wanting to negotiate as hard, especially when it comes to an offer. I would say definitely stand strong in that. And again, that's where having a recruiter helps because often if you've got a good recruiter, they're going to know what that package can look like, you know, and what it might look like if you don't say anything, find a mentor with a business acumen. I think that's important whether that's a man or a woman, we have things to learn from each other. We both bring so much to this world and there's a reason we exist and we're different because we bring different things. I mean, it's like a PharmD, a PhD, an MD. There's nothing better than a team made up of different people because you're going to get such better perspective and such different perspectives. And I think the same thing happens with genders. Any closing comments, Whitney, for our listeners? Biggest thing I would love for someone to take away from this is to find what you're passionate about. Find something that you love that you would almost do if you didn't have any bills <laughs> that you would do for free. My husband and I joke sometimes, like if we were to retire, what if, if we got to retire in two years, what would we do after that? And we both say we would keep doing this. You know, I really think if you can find that passion point that you are making a difference in the world for the better. 
that's great if you're making money off of it too. And you get to do all the things that you've ever dreamed of. But at the end of the day, we were put on this earth to make it a better place. And we were not put on this earth to sit around and do nothing. And I know it, it almost sounds corny, but to make the world a better place, to help someone else, you know, if you were to die tomorrow, what impact will you have left them with? And will you have made a difference in their lives? And, and especially in recruiting, are you that person that just pushed them to take a job so that you got paid and they got in a job? Or are you the person that they remember you talking to them about their sick child and making sure that they got a remote position so they could be home with that child? The biggest thing that we can teach that I try to teach our children is to not be like everyone else. And it's so hard because it's kind of like that networking thing. Like it's so uncomfortable to be different. It's so vulnerable. But if you can think of ways to be different for the positive, that's where you're going to stand out in your industry. So we're going to stand out in your team in your job, whatever it is. And that's the only way you're going to be a leader in your industry is if you do something different. There's so much noise out there and so many things that everyone's going to hear. If you're strange or weird or different, that's who why people are going to remember you. Thank you so much, Whitney. This was such a great discussion. Time just flew by. Yeah, but thank you so much for your advice, your journey, all the great tips. Thank you so much.